Hello, everybody, and welcome to Listen Money Matters. Every day I get up and look through the Forbes list of the richest people. If I'm not there, I go to work. And that quote comes to us from Robert Orban. And you were nice enough to put a bio there for me I, this week. You've oh. asked enough times where I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I, now I know who these people are. Okay, so Robert Orban was uh, best known as the American professional comedy writer who also worked as a speechwriter for Gerald Ford and as a magician. That's why he's Born cool. in the 1920s, okay. Mostly known uh, for I, his magician work, but he I also... I get the feeling he didn't send us that catchphrase on Twitter. Unfortunately, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, hey, my name's Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking today? Dude, I'm great because my monthly box of beer arrived, and one of them this month is Wybor Gold, Florida's own handcrafted beer. And the cool part about it is on the side, there's a beer profile, and it has color, taste, and body. And it's like on a scale of one to five. And so the color is like a 4.8 on the dark scale. The taste is like a 1.8 malty instead of hoppy, and the okay. body is 3.4 towards the full end. It's, Interesting. Yeah. It's like baseball card ratings. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Got my beer baseball cards? Beer cards. Mm, that should be a thing, dude. Beer cards? Stout. Yeah. You go to like beer tasting events to your cards. Oh, dude. I, I have you no idea where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I did. I don't know. Cut me a check if you figure out how to make it not stupid. <laughs> anyway you can send us catchphrases on twitter uh, we're at money matters man we would love to read your catchphrases or steal quotes from famous people either one but yeah today we're talking about uh the anatomy of a well-balanced portfolio mm. now are you gonna just tell me that mine is not that not well-balanced <laughs> <laughs> is yeah. this episode just like an intervention uh, I mean, it could be kind of maybe. I, I think yours is good. You know, you're just okay. you're getting going. I don't think yours is well balanced, but it's also not that you'll need your money soon, so you have time to balance. So yeah, let's put a let's put a definition on this. Like, what does well balanced mean to you? Is it like a certain age you get to where you want to make sure that it's a certain like? Is it based on age? So I think it definitely includes age. I think it definitely okay. includes how you diversify. And I, I think one of the things that maybe gets overlooked is like people are always like diversification. So that means like I have like three stocks instead of one or whatever. <laughs> but I also think it's in like not just the diversification within a component like a 401k, but across multiple things, you know, like if okay. a lot of people in the U S like statistically have the vast majority of their wealth in their home, you know, a oh, single yeah. home. And that's like really bad, you know? So it's like, it's also about having a 401k and a home and a this and a that. And I kind so of you're telling me it's smart to have multiple homes. Well, because diversification and reasons. That's why that's why you should have a summer home. Because if something happens to your main home, you could just live in the summer. Perfect. All right. Okay. Well, besides for multiple houses, how does one go about starting to construct a well-balanced portfolio? And so to be clear here, are we talking just investments or are we talking like net wealth entirely? So, I oh, I think it includes net wealth. So, if we take the home example, um, 
my home is you know is worth three hundred twenty thousand, or was when I bought it. Now it's worth mm-hmm. more, thankfully. And the mortgage was about two fifty. I'm forgetting the exact numbers, but I had about twenty percent put down. So, like, I, I have that gap of wealth of like sixty something thousand when I bought the home. That's mine, but it includes debt. But if I netted it all out, I'd be ahead. Okay. So yeah, and you showed me that big weird spreadsheet that you have for everything. Yeah. So I, I meticulously track this to make sure like all my pieces are in the right spot. <laughs> okay. Is there any reason why you feel the need to track it on a spreadsheet instead of just keeping track of it in Mint or something like that? So I do I do keep track of it in Mint and and stuff like that, but I have like ambitious growth goals. Oh, okay. Um, and so I what happens is the market is up, the market's down, I save this month, I don't save that month. And so Mint is very much month to month or like a, a holistic high level like view and I really want to look to see how individual pieces are doing, how like how much I grow on average every month and then I have goals in a spreadsheet and I calculate how far I am from the goals, if I make this tweak, how far will I then be? It's it's like your whole thing where you want to get $900,000 and retire and it's yeah. like imagine having that instead of like doing the math once Imagine having it where as you build your wealth, it's it's in this thing and you have your goal and you constantly visually see what you're doing. Maybe you're running a little ahead of schedule, but if you tweak this, blah, blah, blah. So it's kind okay. of that for me, but I don't want to do the math more than once. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should start constructing something of that uh, nature for myself. I have been wanting to figure out how to do growth predictions that are not linear. Mm. So, cause I mean like I, in terms of YouTube subscribers has been the, the one that I've been looking at recently because you'll look at these tools and they'll just figure out like what your average growth per day was based on the last month or so. And then it'll make like two year in the future predictions based on that. And I want to figure out like the math behind making growth predictions that are based on acceleration rather than just the average over a certain period. So, and I know you can do it by plotting it out with like just a graph and then doing. Dude, you you took like calculus slope at certain times. I think it was trig or what? Where was Dude, it? Where you learned parabolas? Uh, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, I guess that's. Like, I couldn't figure out the actual formula. And I've been looking at it. Like, if you Google nonlinear growth calculation or growth prediction, you get some heavy stuff. That's like so data I, scientist I, stuff. Maybe yeah. I'm like googling the wrong thing. I don't know. You know, like a really a really easy one that I I like to use because it's easy. I could do it. I'm not a statistician, and um, it accounts for the times when you're not epically growing. Uh, oh, okay. Just like a, a a tightly coupled moving average. So it'll okay. slightly trail you when you're growing very heavily. And then when you're growing less heavily, it'll slightly lead you. And it kind right. of just, it's it's like the dollar cost averaging version of uh, predicting your growth. Yeah. And so like with, with regard to money, I would love to do some sort of, you know, and this is obviously super speculative, but I feel like it would be better to sit down and create a model in which I can put my target uh, retirement fund amount 900k in the number of years but then say 
I'm going to ramp up growth as I get older. So instead of naively saying, I'll just invest $2,600 a month from now until the day I'm 40 every single month. Mm. What if it's like, okay, I can only put in 1500 this month. Um, like what sort of growth trend would realistically get me to the 900 K with an increasing balance every month? Is there a simple formula that or increasing deposit every month? Uh, is there a simple formula to give me that? Or do I need to sit down and like, plot it out so So, that's just some math i haven't figured out yet you um you could do it like pretty like simply where you could say seven percent on average you know growth divide by 12 and you can do it by month you're gonna contribute x per month and it's gonna get this much and so like because seven percent growth is over the year right but Mm. that's if you had it static you know obviously it'll be more if you're constantly contributing and stuff like that but um, okay. I think that would be a cool thing to build. I might have to build that. <laughs> build me some math tools. That'd be but really anyway, cool. mm. you got a you got a whole like list of um, considerations for a well balanced portfolio. So why don't we start trucking on through it? Sure. So um, I, I'm I think if we're gonna go like a little light, super deep, deeper, a little light. So we're gonna kind okay. of meander but i think the the first most important thing for everyone even if you're in like crazy debt is like you if you have matching for a 401k or a tsp or or any kind of pre-tax contribution you have to be on top of that oh no i don't have that so that, <laughs> that, that that sucks i mean the the reason you have to be on top of it is because it's free money Here's the way that I see 401k or okay, here's the way that I see my lack of a 401k with matching and be okay with it. Mm. So employers will match like a certain up to like a certain amount of what you contribute, right? Right. So it's like what is it? Maybe like if you put in $2500, they'll match up to $2500 or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So I see that as either you make Four thousand, or either you make forty-five thousand dollars a year mm. for your salary, or you make forty-seven thousand five hundred dollars for your salary based on the choice you make. So, as an independent person, all I have to do is make an extra twenty-five hundred dollars that year, and I essentially get the same benefit. So, so that's my way of like not, not crying about it. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Um, I'm I'm always focusing on how I can make more money, and I feel like I've kind of reached maybe a threshold with my work where I'm getting paid a lot, and I think it's going to be more difficult to raise it dramatically higher, which is where LMM came in and, and various investment decisions. And the way I see it is I am always working to make more, but my investments are working separate from me and my effort. So if mm. I were to put $100 into a 401k and I'm getting matched one-to-one, so that means I have $200 immediately yeah. or 100% gain, or it would take a quick, you know, if we say 7% on average, it'd take a little more than 10 years of investment gains to just to meet that instant matching. Right. Yeah. So definitely uh, if you if you have a job, uh, if you had the option to do matching a 401k, like without a doubt, you know, mm. contribute as much as you can up to that match point because that's a hundred percent return. 
all I, I guess all I was saying is like my my pat on the back or like my I guess like my oh shucks kid but here's the bright side <laughs> silver lining of not getting a 401k is like I work for myself so maybe my income is like a little less bounded you know obviously it's when you're in a job you can basically like conjure that money out of thin air by choosing to reinvest it over what your salary is I have to work harder to make it but I, think I don't know I just like you, said in my mind like I would have made that so all I got to do is make 2500 extra and I'd get the same thing true I, th- I think you should look at the potential tax advantages of say you segregated yourself from your business and you collected a salary right and as part of your salary you got a 401k benefit and maybe your company can match you on your 401k contributions and your company will get a tax deduction for matching you i guess i could do that so it's like the money is all yours but if you do all this fancy puppet work and stuff behind the scenes, uh, you know, you might get some tax deductions. And I mean, the reason they match you is obviously they want to give you benefits, but they also get incentives. You know, what's weird to me, Andrew, mm. the fact that just by virtue of fussing about with some paper and some keystrokes with the way you set your business up can actually mean the difference between how many boats I can buy when I'm 70. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like I'm not creating any extra value. I'm just, Oh, instead of me being a person who gets paid, I'm now pretending that I am a person plus an entity and the entity that also pays the person and has all these weird accounts. And because I have that on paper, I get more money. (laughs) Like it's, (laughs) it's just so weird to think about. I don't know. Figure figure it as the incentive for creating your own business. There are are things yeah. that are available to For example, you could put how much can you put in an IRA? Like 50k at, with your SEP? Uh, I don't have a SEP. I have a simple. And uh, I can put I can put like 12k in that. Okay. So that's already like double roughly of what I could put in as a normal employed person. Yeah. And I think it was I think I was talking to Larry from Investor Junkie. I think he was saying that a SEP, he does a SEP and it's like up to 50 or some obscenely high number. And it's just like, when you have a small business, you're afforded some things because you're clearly a psychopath because you have a small business. (laughs) (laughs) A psychopath bonus. That's right. So, all right. So, so 401k, look, really important to have a 401k. One, um, there's matching, take advantage of it for sure. But two, um, you get to reduce, like you said, your pre-tax income. So where when you go to the tax man, instead of making 47K or whatever the number was you said, you could report only earning 40K or you know mm-hmm. whatever because contributing to it reduce your taxable income so you get uh, more money overall because you're giving less to the government. Okay. So super important to do something like that. All right. So we got 401K matching. And the second one you've got is international investing. So is this like a priority list or just a list in order of the things you thought of? It's more a list in order of as it dumped out of my brain onto the list. Okay. You know, there was this one thing. We get a, a ton of questions from people about international investing, specifically related to Betterment's allocation strategy. Okay. Betterment, um is weighted uh, like decently heavily in a Vanguard fund that, that covers international stocks. Yeah. 
and everyone belly aches because oh it doesn't perform as well like last year and blah 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 um well let's see is that the, is that the vanguard uh ftse developed markets fund or the emerging markets fund so um it is specifically it's the international developed markets fund is the one that's like really big External well, emerging markets that has six thousand two hundred and forty percent change today. Apparently, you, you at might, least according to my mint. I think mint is wrong. If it, if, it, oh. if it changed that much, you're either now like a millionaire, or uh, well, I only own one point five shares of it. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so now you're like a ten air. Yeah. But dude, you check- know, I think Mint is messed up because it says the overall change in my betterment portfolio is like one point two eight percent. I don't use Mint for my investing. They they've just ne- is they, it bad? They they slopped it up there, and they were like it was really good, but then they stopped like keeping up with the data part of it. So it it kind of has fallen. Oh okay. Personally, I, I like personally personally I like personal capital. Okay. Oh wait, what is personal capital? Personal capital is is more like the investor's version of Mint. So uh, okay, it's it also does like basic budgeting and stuff. Mint is much better with that stuff, but personal capital is trying to get there. They're trying to take you know eat Mint's lunch, um, but they're really awesome with the investing portion and breaking down your investments and you know showing you how well diversified you are, your risk portfolio. Analyzing fees. I, I mean, we've done episodes on them. They're, it's an awesome tool. Uh, we're in our toolbox. Um, okay. Re- really good product. Like, uh, there, there's nothing else really that I know of that is uh, that detailed for investing info for your portfolio. I, maybe I should try personal capital then. Though, I guess I'm not usually as concerned about whether or not my investments are up or down mm. because I'm just holding them. So I guess all I really care about is that it lists out the funds I have. So I have an easy place to go when people ask me, what are you invested in? And then I tell them, well, I'm not sure, but Mint lists it out. So let me go look at it real quick. Because the thing is, uh, I mean, it lists it out, but the one tool, and I wrote an article, I love it, is like the fee analyzer, is it'll actually break down and it'll pull all the fees out of the funds. If you have a 401k and has an administration fee, it'll tell you that and it'll kind of plot it so that uh like you could see how much of your potential growth you'll lose to the fees okay but but anyways is it free yeah yeah, it's 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 free oh sweet okay the way they make money is if you wanted like a an investment advisor you could pay more on top gotcha okay cool but um dude so back to the like this international markets thing um when when we talk about diversification, right? Like we're talking about like multiple companies, you know, like the S and P five hundred. But uh, not all growth comes out of the U.S., and it is possible for things based on stupid Congress decisions or whatever to, you know, hurt the U.S. more than other countries. Okay. And in terms of the global market, the U.S. only accounts for one third of the money there. So, yeah. if you were only invested in the U.S., you're like. Like abstaining from two thirds of the potential investments, right? And I, it just seems silly to me that you know you would only want to be involved in one country's investing or, or markets. Like I, I don't know. I think it's a little presumptuous to assume that the greatest amount of economic value or the greatest gains are to be had in one particular country. 
That's what I'm saying. And, and, you know, you have countries that are growing very rapidly, like China. And, you know, you make money on rapid growth, not on, you know, s- existing size. So it, it almost, yeah. like, behooves you to be invested internationally. So right. if you were, like, in an 80%, 20% stock bond split with Betterment, you actually have 48% of your stuff in the United States, but the remainder is international. So they even keep you pretty heavy U.S., but... Mm-hmm. uh you get like I don't even know how many countries is on this list. It looks like there's um, easily over fifty countries you're invested in. Okay. I uh, know maybe easily over thirty. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. Oh wow! Ten years ago, it was forty five percent of the world market cap, and now it's only thirty three. So that's the thing is like the world is growing. Yeah. I mean, the world is the same size it's always been, but their money is growing. <laughs> So I guess I just want to, um, in, in like a well-balanced portfolio, uh, I think it's very important to have international investments. Um, so okay. when you're uh, getting Vanguard funds or using Betterment or whatever you're doing, like definitely something you need to consider seriously. Yeah. And I guess uh, one caveat we can add in here is if you're just starting, don't worry too much. Like... I mean, if you're getting into Betterment, they're going to do it for you. If you're going into Vanguard, like, I would grab the S&P first. That's what I did. Mm. Or I, I guess that's what I would have done if I hadn't gone into an old man fund. <laughs> and that's what most of my Vanguard is in now. So if you're like, I'm just starting, and now these guys are telling me I need to be invested in, in international funds and all this junk like that, like, don't let it stop you. If you need something simple, just do something simple and then learn more as you go on. I agree. And uh, you know what? Like we have um, like an investing strategy blueprint thing I put together like a while ago and it has like uh, six or seven Vanguard funds, one of which is international. Mm-hmm. And like if you distribute it evenly and you just had that much in international, at least you're in it. Yeah. Although yep. interesting if, interestingly, if you look at Betterman's breakdown, um, when you go 100% stocks, so the most risky – that's the one allocation with the least amount of U.S. exposure. So, like, literally, as you take on more risk, they're putting you into other countries because many of them perform well. Okay. And that is actually where I am right now in all stocks. So, and, yeah, look, developed market developed markets, VEA is 41% of my portfolio on there. And so I would say you should be happy to know that uh, if you're 100% stocks – 8.6% of it is in Japan. Is it? Yeah. Very it's the second nice. highest after the U.S. Well, Higher than... go have a Mia look-see at some of my investments in about a month here. <laughs> <laughs> after you come back from your your, uh, your tour through Japan, you're going to spend so much money, all their stocks are going like to double. It's going to be crazy. It's, they call it the Thomas Stimulus package. Dude, if the coffee shop next door to me had stock, I would have done that to them. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the quantity of burritos that you ate for lunch <laughs> sandwiches and coffees and just yeah I've, I've given them a lot of my money it was worth it though maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe not frugal but it was tasty college info geek was was born out of those sandwiches fueled by coffee and sandwiches <laughs> yes okay so International diversification is definitely a thing to think about. Mm. The next one on your list is a home purchase or rental. Specifically, I, I kind of wanted to put um, 
like a boundary on that where uh, we've talked about rent before and I think it's the general rule of thumb. It's been my general rule of thumb. My parents taught me. I think it's also out there on the internet as like a general concept that you should never spend more than a third of your take-home pay on rent. If you spend more than a third of your take-home pay on rent, then you're like, you're being crazy. That's like a lot. So I don't know if this makes me weird, but thinking about an entire third of my paycheck on rent seems bonkers to me. Same. Like, I and that's what I'm saying. A it quarter has to, or a fifth would be more more comfortable. A third seems insane. So, so I can't imagine having to pay more than that. I will tell you. Yeah, I'm one fifth roughly of my okay. take home. And I think that it's like, look, you can do up to a third, and and you know, I think that's like the borderline of reasonable is okay. a third. And I want to take that and apply it towards um your wealth, and say that if you owned a home, it shouldn't be more than a third of your wealth. I think that you should be concerned okay. if it's more than a third of your wealth because it's an extremely difficult asset to tap in terms of like gaining value, yeah. um back. Uh, it doesn't necessarily grow as fast. And the the one caveat is if you're like a landlord or a real estate investor, obviously then yeah. you have multiple homes and you you have a whole strategy in place. Very different than having more than a third of your wealth in the home, the single home you live in. Okay, interesting. So basically, if I have a two hundred thousand dollar house, I should have at least six hundred thousand dollars total in everything, mm. including the house. Well, so here's the thing is, so if you have a $200,000 house, um, do, the, do you own all of that house? Because it's probably more likely you might own, you know, $40,000 of that house oh, so and the rest mean, is mortgage. You mean that only one third of your net worth should be represented by the portion of your house you own? Yes. But you could still get a more expensive house because of the mortgage? Yeah, because the thing is, like, okay. when you net the house out, if you had to sell it today, like, liquidate it because shit went down or whatever, you know, and you had 40000 in on the $200,000 house, you only get forty back when you sell it. Okay, so that sounds a bit more sane. That's what I was going to say, because otherwise, like, you would never be able to buy a home. You know you would have a house. But yeah. the thing is, is, like, um, and I think that's, like, the max. Like, it would probably be better if your home was less. Like, it was, like, a fifth of your net worth. So okay. you almost want... You know, obviously, when you buy it, it becomes a big portion. You need to work really hard to outpace that with other investments. Okay, cool. And let's see here. Stock versus bond. Re- or actually, there's uh, one other thing. Hmm. The tax deduction on mortgage interest. So what's that mean? Yeah, so um, there are all different kinds of tax advantages that you can get. Okay. Like, for example... Um, like the earned income tax credit, I mean, that's kind of crappy because you, if you don't earn a lot of money. But, you know, you could deduct mm-hmm. your mortgage interest um, okay. and get like a tax credit. And um, your business can get a tax credit if you do your 401k and whatever and blah, blah, blah. And I guess things like that are awesome because they help grow your wealth and it's subsidized by the government. So, okay. That's that. I think it's one of the major reasons why owning a home is good. It's because it, the interest is subsidized by the government. Yeah. So then we have the stock versus bond ratio. More like the stock ratio for me. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so you know this one, like the life cycle fund, yeah. and basically, as you get older, get more bonds, and don't let the market destroy your entire life savings. Simple, exactly. <laughs> Unless it's two thousand eight. So yeah, it's just all about like tapering your risk, and um, as you get older, you know, I kind of like think, you know, ten percent if you're third. I mean, if you're really risky. You know, ten percent bonds, twenty you percent know, bonds in your forty, thirty, you know, and so on. If you're if you're less risky, maybe it's twenty percent or twenty five percent when you're thirty bonds, and, and so on. I'm gonna go with thirty uh, percent bonds, seventy percent mattress. Boom. Sounds pretty safe to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and IRAs. Um, so I, that's a good question. For for most people, they're probably going to want to do a good amount in the IRA, like mm. as much as they can. I know you and me are a little bit different because we consider our investments somewhat of a resource for projects. But for the you know for the most part, people who are just going to have a job, they want to do as much as they can into an IRA, right? Yeah, and the cool part is if you wanted to play, you know, say like, you're like, Oh, like I always wanted to buy Tesla or Apple, but you know, maybe I'm going to change my mind in three weeks and buy another thing. If you say roll over an 041k into a Roth IRA or you just contribute to Roth IRA, you can buy whatever you want within the Roth and you could sell it and buy something else and keep buying and selling an unlimited amount of times. And there are no tax implications for that. So, as long as it's still in there. As long as it's still in the Roth. So uh, it's a great kind of sandboxed environment to play. And that's so usually I what I used to play. Buy myself a Tesla and an Apple computer mm. with my Roth. And there's no taxes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Dang it. Okay. And um, you have your rollover old IRAs. So is that meaning like IRAs you had with old jobs and stuff like that or what? Ah, uh, so yeah, I I kind of like just brain dumped in. I guess I meant like with the old 401ks. Um, oh, okay. They, they wind up costing you a lot because uh, oftentimes your employer will like pay management fees um, in order for the 401k to be a thing. And when you leave, they're like, screw you, I'm not paying for your management fee. So you have the fees of every fund plus the fee the company charges to manage it all. So it actually becomes oh, okay. very expensive. So yeah, just so to be sure all of your IRAs or 401k and everything is like current with your job or in a place where you know the fees at least. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, you have bond percentages here. Is that the same as the stock versus bond ratio or did you mean something yeah, else? Yeah, no, no, that was the same. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> you got to edit your brain dumps, man. That's all right. Um, percentage that's in an individual company should be less than 10%. Uh, so, you know, I, I like to play. Um, you right. Know, buying Tesla. I, I just bought some Nike with Robinhood recently to try the tool out. And um, okay. hopefully I would love to get the CEO on at some point. But uh, like th- when this, this playing, it's, should never be more than 10% of your stuff because yeah. you could be terribly wrong. And you know what? If Tesla crashes to the ground, it would suck. I would lose 10% of my wealth max, but I still have the other 90%. Yeah, and I think uh, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about Dutch investors in, uh, in ships, like merchant ships, 
splitting up their investments among multiple ships because if one goes down, they only lose 10%. <laughs> Same kind of thing. The, the, the origin of diversification. Don't let the Kraken destroy your portfolio. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have our emergency funds and cash on hand. Now, I mean, you keep your emergency fund in Betterment, right? Yes, yeah. sir. When I keep mine, then eh, mine might as well be in Vanguard. We'll put it that to that because it's that's my most accessible investment that doesn't have only 150 bucks in it. And look, you're you're a responsible dude. You're not going to have an emergency like two times a month and like draw it down. I mean, <laughs> I imagine your emergency will be an actual emergency. It won't be like uh, I need a new TV. Emergency. I have a Hagen Dots emergency. <laughs> I'm really craving it, man. Gotta raid the treasury, dude. <laughs> you know when we went to Cold Stone, I, I forgot how they mix everything onto itself, and it's all. Yep. Oh man, I have I have a Cold Stone craving, dude. I'm glad I got a small. I know that Cold Stone is like always a case of eyes being bigger than the stomach because it's so sugary. It's like slip but, into a coma if you had the whole thing. Yep, a little bit is so good though. And then cash on hand. How much cash should you have on hand? Um, how much cash do you keep on hand? Um, I think I have like close to 10K or no. Yeah, I have close to 10K on hand right now. That is only because very soon we need to pay the first month's rent for the house. And then I need to send estimated tax payment and then Japan. So Mm. typically I would try to keep like 3.5 to 4K on hand. Okay, cool. And you're risky uh, like me. Is that risky? I mean, like, uh, I usually keep like a month's expenses about maybe a month and a half. Mad Max two if I'm lazy with my investments. Oh, that's not that risky though, for me. No, I don't think so. If I pared everything down, I could probably stay under one K per month expenses. (gasps) Oh, that are that minus business expenses. I'm not sure what business are now. Because mailchimp's getting so expensive, but I know your success, dude. I could probably live on one k a month with the new house. It was like six to seven hundred before last week, but now my health insurance costs close to three hundred a month. So, um, it probably one k would be okay by myself. So I think keeping three to four k in the checking account is actually not too risky. All right, I guess I I I guess I thought I you were at like two k a month or something. I forgot that you have like crazy militaristic control of well i mean like i am spending more than that i'm just Mm -hmm. saying like if everything went to hell for some reason my investments tanked and all i had was a cash on hand i could pare down to one grand a month Mm. if not less probably probably about that amount at this point so that would give me a four month runway about and i think that would be enough to get something that's that's plenty good Yeah, yeah and i guess the whole point there is like um if you're feeling job insecure or you're concerned about something crazy going down and I mean, mostly losing your income. Yeah. I I mean, like maybe it's arrogant for me to think this, but I don't feel job insecure. Cause like, even if my business were to crash, I don't know. I just, I feel like the amount of skills I've had to learn in doing this. And then like all the connections we make through the podcast and everything, Mm. there would be something I was going to say, like, you could definitely contract or do something. Like, if you needed to, like, literally just get two pennies to rub together, you could go, I'll help you X person with video or something. Yeah. 
you know, so if I go for a super long time stuck in one little tiny narrow area of focus, then, you know, you become like a one trick pony. And if that, if that like goes away, what do you do? Mm. And we, we've talked about this before with like the zombie apocalypse metaphor. What the hell is a data engineer and a, and a vlogger going to do when yeah. the zombies start running at you? I want to be able to <laughs> pivot if I need to. So that's why it's not entirely reliant upon my portfolio. You know, and that's definitely what scares me as well is like uh, just the way that like the speed that tech moves and like how niche down a lot of things make you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what scares me? Huh? I think I read somewhere recently that the third most common job title in America is truck driver. Really? Yes. And you've seen the progress they've been making on self-driving cars. That's... How like how many years do you want to wager that the the big trucking companies are going to start implementing this technology in their trucks? I'm sure they're going to jump on it as soon as the possible. Third, the third most populous job in America goes away. You know? Mm. That sucks. Dude, I had this idea. I mean, I could never do this. I don't know how the heck anyone else would do it, but I was like, trucker education. Because truckers have to, like, drive eight hours a day right, or right. hours a day. And they have, like, no real chance to do school or learn another trade or something. So, like, if you could come up with some way... To help people who drive trucks build extra skills or get educated while working. And I mean, I guess the immediate idea is like audio courses or something. I was going to say, key them into podcasts, man. <laughs> the trucker education podcast. I don't know, man. Maybe there is a trucker podcast. Who knows? I was like, dude, why do you think we're so popular? It's Maybe we're the, the trucker, trucker podcast. That's right. Hello, truckers. I, th- I think. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope your job doesn't go away, but I just, I see this this stuff in the news and it's scary, you know? Dude, I mean, it's, it's like exciting, but also scary, the pace of technology. We did a, a survey and the top three times that people listen to the podcast is like driving to work, um, at the gym and having sex. So. <laughs> is that true? I mean, that's what they say. I hope it's true. (laughs) (laughs) I mostly enjoy Lizard Money Matters when, A, having sex. Pause for a second. (laughs) I I need to learn what to do with this IRA stuff. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Dollar cost averaging is awesome. And we just lost about 50 listeners. (laughs) Bring on the one-star reviews. (laughs) Basically. Oh, my God. They were doing so well. Exactly. They started to teach again. Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> it can't get out of the filth man well while we're out let me go grab a beer <laughs> i think we're good for this episode though right i agree okay cool well if you're still with us and you don't hate us yet and we didn't just offend your mother <laughs> and you have questions most money matters at gmail.com is where you can direct any of those questions and or hate mail and or weird selfies of your cat photoshopped onto i don't know bodies of past presidents that's right (laughs) yeah go ahead and send us those if you have them um listenmoneymatters.com slash get involved is where you can find all the ways that we currently have for you to get involved with the show you can subscribe you can leave a rating and review on itunes both of those things definitely help us out and put smiles on our faces and this week's featured review comes from aka merc aka merc i don't know uh oh tony 
I guess it's AKA Merck on Twitter. And he says, awesome podcast for those looking to break the ice on their financial life, breaking everything down from simple terms or two simple terms and defining everything they're talking about makes it an easy listen for beginners. On top of that, they've inspired myself and I'm sure many more to be more entrepreneurial all while keeping the mood light and fun. Thanks guys. Well, thanks Tony. We will continue to keep the mood light and fun with, Stupid sex jokes. That's right. <laughs> Stupid sex jokes, beer, and that that's all we really talk about, right? Yeah. Well, I'm, at least you don't fart and burp too much. Mm. We've only done a few of those. I was going to say, I, I've outgrown <laughs> that. I'm too sophisticated now. Too sophisticated for bathroom humor. I moved on to bedroom humor. That's right. And, and barroom humor. <laughs> it all starts with B. It must start with a B. Anyway, listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox is where you'll find all of our favorite resources and books that we recommend and all sorts of cool stuff. So thanks for hanging out with us, and we will see you in the next episode. Later, Andrew. Later, Thomas. Tell your friends about this show.